Welcome to the Fiber for Breakfast podcast, a series that discusses fiber as the critical infrastructure for today's growing broadband needs. Listen in as Gary Bolton, CEO and President of the Fiber Broadband Association, speaks with industry thought leaders and experts about connectivity issues and the impact on the remote workplace. I hope you enjoy today's discussion, which will start momentarily. And remember to subscribe and like this podcast on your favorite platform. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to the Fiber Broadband Association's Fiber for Breakfast. We're now in our 44th episode of 2022. Before I kick off, I'd like to thank Nokia, the gold sponsor for Fiber for Breakfast. You know, today I'm in Washington, D.C., as we've been invited to the White House as part of the administration's Infrastructure Talent Pipeline Challenge. As you know, the Fiber Broadband Association is rolling out its optics path fiber optic technician training program to veterans, community colleges, and training institutes all over to all the 56 states and territories. And we're pleased that NTI included our program as a best practices in their workforce playbook that's part of the BEAD program. We'll also announce last week our collaboration agreement with WIA, where the Fiber Broadband Association will be rolling out our 144-hour fiber optic technician training and WIA will be administering our Department of Labor accredited 2000 hour apprenticeship program as part of it, its TIRAP program. Speaking of training, our next regional Fiber Connect workshop will be held in Columbus, Ohio tomorrow on November 3rd. This event is sold out and we will be including our train the trainer for our fiber optic technician program. Both FBA and WIA will be working with the state of Ohio on workforce development. Uh, Columbus, the Columbus event will break all our records so far with our regional fiber workshops. Our next regional fiber connect event will be in Raleigh, North Carolina on February 7th. This Friday, November 4th is Give Me Fiber Day, designated in 2013 by the Fiber at Home Council Global Alliance to showcase how fiber has positively impacted communities around the world and what policymakers around the globe can do to help advance the rollout and take up of fiber optics. November 4th was selected as it corresponds with the birthday of the man who has changed the way the world communicates, Professor Charles Kao. To celebrate, the Fiber Broadband Association will be hosting its second annual Twitter chat all day long. So join us on Twitter at Fiber Broadband throughout the day to share your perspectives and interact with others. Members of the fiber ecosystem discuss key topics affecting our industry. And you can also follow along with hashtag Give me fiber day. Yeah, that's hashtag give me fiber day. Today on Fiber for Breakfast, we have the opportunity to talk with Kate O'Connor and Evan View of the Subcommittee on Communications and Technology with the U.S. House of Representatives Committee on Energy and Commerce on the over the over excuse me overcoming permitting roadblocks to be deployment. Last week on Fiber for Breakfast, we spoke with Paul Crunen, the CEO of I3 Broadband, on the commitment to serve yield sky-high NPS. You know, net promoter scores are going to become a recurring theme on Fiber for Breakfast as next week we'll be discussing how NPS is driving Wall Street's investment decisions. Today on Fiber for Breakfast, we have the opportunity to talk with Kate O'Connor and Evan View of the Subcommittee on Communications and Technology with the U.S. House of Representatives Committee on Energy and Commerce on overcoming permitting roadblocks to be deployment. Kate O'Connor is the chief counsel for the Subcommittee on Communications Technology, um, and she has previously served as the chief of staff for NTIA, where she worked on legislative and communications policy focused on spectrum and broadband issues. 
She also worked in NTI's Office of Congressional Affairs, engaged with Congress, state government officials, and other federal agencies to advance administration's legislative initiatives on broadband and 5G. Kate attended the University of Chicago. Kevin uh, View serves as a professional staff member for uh, the communications and technology with the House uh, Committee on Energy and Commerce, a Republican staff. Among other issues that Kevin works on um, include broadband, supply chain security, um, spectrum, and media policy. Previously, Evan served as a legislative assistant to Representative Tim Wahlberg of uh, Michigan, where he handled congressional, the congressman's legislative priorities on Energy and Commerce Committee and other issues. Evan attended the University of Michigan. So welcome, Kate and Evan. And for audience, please type in your questions as we go and we'll work them into the discussion. With that, I'd like to get things kicked off and I'll turn it over to Kate Nevin to provide, you know, maybe start with some background on the subcommittee and what the key issues that you're focused on. Thanks, Gary, and thanks for uh, having us here today. Um, so our subcommittee has jurisdiction over NTIA and the Federal Communications Commission. So over the last couple of years, we've really been paying attention to all of the broadband funding that's gone out the door. Um, there really has been an unprecedented amount of funding across multiple agencies made available for broadband deployment which is exciting. Our members have been talking about it for years, uh, the need for to invest in broadband infrastructure to make sure that all Americans are connected. I think the need for broadband was especially highlighted during the COVID-19 pandemic, although we've known that this has been an issue for, for quite some time. Uh, the infrastructure bill provided over $42 billion for broadband deployment, which is in addition to the other funding streams that have already been out there um, and made available available for broadband on top of the um, COVID relief packages, which also included money for broadband. Yet none of these bills included any sort of meaningful permitting reforms, uh, which is something that our boss and our members have been really passionate about and talking about for now spanning multiple Congresses. Um, these barriers will really only delay deployment and increase costs, meaning American families are just going to remain, you know, longer without before getting access to the internet. Um, so. After the, well, actually, this was prior to the infrastructure bill passing, uh, our members introduced over 20, I think it was 28, so um, permit broadband, yeah, Evan's nodding, so 20 is the right number, broadband permitting proposals to roll back some of these uh, barriers to broadband deployment. deployment. And, you know, while fiber is definitely the gold standard, we recognize that it may not be the most feasible in many parts of the country. So knowing that this funding needs to be stretched as far as possible, our permitting bills actually reduce barriers to both fixed and mobile uh, technology. So permitting reform is definitely going to be a top uh, priority for Leader Rogers. It continues to be a top priority. She's talked about this not only in the broadband space, but across all of the subcommittees uh, that are in the jurisdiction of the Energy and Commerce Committee. Um, oversight is another top priority for the Congresswoman. Uh, we've had NTIA Assistant Secretary Alan Davidson and FCC Chairwoman Rosa Morsell up before this committee once this entire Congress, once each. Um, and that's just frankly not enough for all of the funding that's gone out the door since 2020. Our boss is very passionate about Congress uh, performing its duties of oversight and making sure that, that these agencies are actually spending the money and acting in accordance with the laws that Congress passes. So with that, I am happy to answer any questions. I'm joined by my colleague, Evan, 
I mean, I don't know if you want to add anything, but uh, he's been obviously great. It's been just the two of us for the last three years. So we've worked really closely on these permitting bills and all of these broadband programs. So happy to be here. Yeah, and thank you. And I would just like to echo my thanks as well to Gary and uh, all the members that are joining the call today. Um, a lot of this work that we've been able to do is in part because we're hearing and, and listening to the problems that you all are seeing you know, out there in the world and uh, we're trying to, to be responsive to that. So look forward to any questions. Hey, thanks, Evan and Kate. And maybe to start off with is, um, and you, Kate, talked a little bit about this, but um, in your opinion, you know, why does the permitting problem require legislation to remedy it? Yeah, well, well first of all, um, you know, many of the areas uh, that it's difficult to deploy broadband are in, uh, on federal lands, and especially in the Western United States, you know, we have a lot of members on the committee that come from Western states, uh, and federal agencies are responsible for, for managing that land. Uh, federal environmental and historic preservation laws are also at the federal level, uh, and so any changes to those laws or those processes would likely require action by Congress. Um, our committee also regulates uh, the interstate co uh, communications networks and um, market entry, and so again, permitting at its core is, is really about market entry, and uh, you know, there's obviously a role for state and local governments here as well, but you know, we need to balance a lot of uh, the interests in making sure that not only do we get critical, uh, you know, reviews done in a timely manner, but that they're done, you know, timely and they're done at kind of a fair cost uh, to those that are willing to put their uh, investment on the line to serve American families. Well, thanks, Evan. You know, you, you guys have heard from the Fiber Broadband Associations and our members about the challenges that we're really facing as a result of permitting obstacles. Uh, would you consider inviting state and local officials that we work with to testify to find out what they believe Congress can do to support their needs to expedite permitting? Absolutely. I mean, should we should we have that ability to um, invite or have, I guess, the hearings on this issue? But um, yeah, I mean, I think that it's really important to have all the voices at the table. State and local governments are a huge part of that. For a long time, we were hearing that, and I, I we've heard this from many of your members, that um, part of the reason that it took so long for them to process permits at their level was because of resources. But again, this goes back to the fact that between all of the COVID packages and the different funding streams that have gone out the door, there's a lot of funding out there right now. So if re the resources are there, and if those are not being allocated appropriately, um, we need to know about it. And NTIA, including with the BEAD program, will have the ability to approve state plans, and the states will have a lot of say in how those funds get spent and where they go. And so we absolutely think that they need to be a part of the conversation. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you, you mentioned this, Kate, that you know we would you, look, historically seen about four billion dollars a year of federal subsidies for broadband, and now with you know between um, all the funding with ARPA and uh, the the capital projects and with B coming, you know we're looking at you know probably six seven times the amount of capex, and then on top of that we're seeing an equal part of private investment. So it's going to be overwhelming to you know people who are doing permitting. You know we can't operate at the same pace that we've done in the past. So given you know the type, um, well maybe start with. Can you guys share share with us kind of the basic outline of the draft legislation that um, you think will address the broadband um, permitting? Sure. Um, and I know uh, I believe the link to our our website that includes all the uh, 28 bills has been shared in advance, so I won't you know go through all of them individually. Uh, but it's really helpful, I think, to just think about the four areas that we can provide 
uh, targeted relief. And again, this, these are based off specific problems that we've heard from providers over the years. Um, so the first one is promoting new infrastructure deployment where it doesn't already exist. And I think this is one that obviously we all recognize the challenges, uh, you know, there's, there's barriers there. Um, the second one is as we look to upgrading existing infrastructure and perhaps enhancing service or in the wireless space, you know, moving to five or 6G, uh, in the fixed side, there's a lot of infrastructure that's already been deployed that maybe we can take advantage of. Uh, so promoting deployment um, and consumer choice through co-location um, and allowing you know modifications to existing infrastructure uh, to be a, a big driver. Um, the third one, you know, there's obviously a role for environmental and historic uh, reviews, but a lot of times those reviews are either unnecessary or duplicative, where there's either again already an infrastructure uh, siting that's been approved, whether it's a tower or conduit for, for fiber. Uh, so where, again, there's already been a review or the review may not be necessary, looking where we can reduce some of that redundancy. And then the fourth bucket is uh, promoting broadband deployment on federal lands. As I mentioned, um, you know, there's a lot of different agencies that all have a role uh, in approving broadband applications on federal lands. In some areas, like for example, in some counties out in the Western United States, there could be multiple agencies within a pretty small area and they all kind of fit together like a jigsaw puzzle. And so if you don't have a streamlined process at the agency level, you know, you may not understand where to go or which agency to go to and things like having a common application uh, fee and a common standard uh, fee for the rental of that land, um, having points of contacts at agencies, having an online application portal so you don't have to, you know, deal with paperwork uh, in, in the old school sense. These are all things that I think are just pretty pretty straightforward that could go a long way. Yeah, thanks, Evan. You know, given you know these type timelines, um, you know, to build out all the required award winner and underbeat and the other federal broadband programs, how big a problem do you guys see this becoming if we're unable to take legislative administrative steps to fix it? Yeah, you know, I think there's a number of challenges, and um, you know, as Kate alluded to, there's I think a missed opportunity here to address. Uh, meaningful permitting reforms through the infrastructure law. Um, we actually recently sent a letter, um, our boss, uh, ranking member, Kathy McMorris-Rogers from Washington and um, Senator Wicker, who is our counterpart in the Senate, um, sent a letter to NTIA urging them to work with states, you know, as they uh, work with state broadband uh, offices across the country uh, when they're reviewing those plans to use that local collaboration as a means to, you know, incentivize and uh, require uh, permitting reforms. Um, you know, I think, frankly, these permitting reforms and especially the legislation that our members have put forward will have benefits that outlive BEAD and ARDOF and all these other programs. Um, and so legislation, I think, really, again, is, is um, you know, it'll provide a lot of certainty that businesses need. And I think, you know, given the cost of uh, inflation and other, uh, you know, factors that have raised the cost of deploying broadband, even since the infrastructure law, you know, being able to streamline these processes uh, will, will stretch that funding even further. I think there's, just to add on to that, I mean, our boss has been really passionate about enacting permitting reforms, and to the extent NTIA can actually do some of this on its own as conditions of grant awards, that would be great. But I think that it's been pretty clear over the past couple of years that red tape really does have the possibility to kill projects. So $42 billion seems like a lot of money. It is a lot of money. But if we don't change all of the processes that allow that $42 billion to actually get spent to deploy this infrastructure, it could all be wasted. So I think that there's, I think the timing is really important. And I think that there's really significant um, uh, 
issues that will arise if this doesn't, if these permitting reforms aren't enacted quickly. No, agreed. Um, so, you know, we know the administrations has looked at this question as well. You know, are there steps that they can take through executive order or executive branch mechanisms that will help confront the problem? Do you see this as complementary to the legislations that you'd like to move on? Yeah, I mean, I think in some cases they're definitely complementary. Um, I was actually looking back and, you know, a lot of the work that we uh, have done on the federal lands issues um, has been looked at for multiple administrations going back to uh, the first Bush administration in 2002 you know they were starting to look at this issue of you know there's lots of different agencies and they all manage you know different federal lands and um, how can we streamline or maybe standardize a lot of these processes across each agency um, and so under the Trump administration there was actually uh, an initiative the American broadband initiative that looked up at a lot of the things that agencies really could just review you know all of their rules and regulations and take a hard look at what's working and what isn't. Uh, some of that, I think, uh, we also want to address on a legislative side um, and, and have you know, put forward uh, pieces of legislation to do that. Um, there's also issues, though, that are outside of the, the executive branch and, and even the FCC. And so you know, we've looked at those as well. And that spans whether it's uh, the fixed and, and fiber community, whether that's the wireless community, or whether that's like the cable industry. You know, There's parts of the law kind of are different uh, depending on which part of the industry you're in. And so we've taken a, a very close look at what we can do uh, that maybe the executive branch cannot do. Even Great. setting aside sort of the permitting issue specifically, just really quickly, we we passed the Access Broadband Act a couple of years ago, which requires NTIA to track all of the federal broadband funding streams. And I really think that that close coordination among the different agencies that have federal funds for broadband deployment is a really big part of this as well. So that is certainly something that the administration has the authority to do. They can hold these agencies accountable and make sure that the funding is going to areas that need it. And one of the things I'll just kind of add, add to this, um, there's some some problems that we've seen in the past where you know agencies maybe not, have not always been uh, kind of viewed as a broadband agency or they've been focused on like oil and gas permitting. And so we've heard concerns that you know as agencies kind of have sub bureaus or you know, ranger stations uh, that maybe serve a, a very small kind of part of the country. But this just isn't an issue that maybe has necessarily are always crossed their desk. And so one of the things that we've tried to do through the legislation is empower NTIA to really just prioritize this and make sure that agencies are focused on it, you know, informing them that there's a standard form now that, that should, you know, be used across the federal government. That was something that we did in a bipartisan way in 2018. Uh, and trying to spur on the on the federal side, you know, some of the permitting uh, challenges at agencies. Great. So, what about? Um, I mean, in your judgment, is permitting mostly a federal problem, or is it equal parts state and federal? It's definitely both, um, and I think it's important to to recognize too at the outset. Um, you know, most state and local governments are doing a great job. Uh, they're working collaboratively. You know, providers and the state and local governments all generally have the same goal of wanting their community to get served with, you know, high quality, high speed broadband. Um, there is a cost, right, to staffing and processing these applications. It's not like, you know, there's magic pixie dust that we should just get them done, you know, overnight. Um, and so I think when we look at the, the federal and state issues, you know, the federal issues on things like the environmental and historic preservation reviews or federal lands issues, you know, those are, we recognize that we have some work to do on in our backyard and, and and our, our role. Um, 
But there's also, I think, an, an expectation among providers that when they work with their state and local governments, that they're being responsive, that they're, you know, there's a very clear set of uh, processes that if they follow them, that they know that investment is going to, to be worthwhile. And in some cases, we've seen that, um, you know, state and local governments may not always have that same view. And so, you know, I think there's there's ample room to achieve uh, the permitting goals that we've kind of laid out through our legislation and setting some reasonable boundaries for state and local governments, uh, again, as the regulator of interstate commerce. Um, but we also want to make sure that there's flexibility there so that states uh, and local, local governments do have that ability to uh, perform the reviews that are needed uh, while, again, providing timely responses to providers and you know making sure that things like the cost for reviewing that application are tied to the direct cost for actually reviewing the application. Yeah, so for those elements of permitting that are state and local, um, what steps should or can the federal government take to better advance the federal policies of timely future-proof broadband infrastructure expansion? For example, can federal funding incentives be used to implement uniform permitting uh, timelines and deem granite rules in the same way that you know the federal government used to incentivize like the legal drinking age limits and things like that I think, yeah, I, mean, be, um, I, I think that it really is going to take an all all hands approach and so the federal government really needs to sort of set the standard which I realize kind of sounds like it's very antithetical to the way that things are actually working right now but um, I, I think that there are a lot of things that we can do from our from our level, which can help sort of loosen up the restrictions on the state and local side. And I think if we set that example from the top and we actually start enacting some reforms, it will also help them do that on the on the state and local level. Um, Evan, sorry, I didn't mean to jump in, but go ahead if you want to no. add anything. No, that's great. And um, as Kate mentioned before, you know there is a, a $350 billion coronavirus relief fund that, that went to state and local governments for exactly this sort of thing, right? You, you, they're going to be expanding a lot of the services they're they're performing, you know, because of COVID, and um, that that funding stream I think was important for, and we view that as something that they could be using for uh, for staffing and processing these reforms. Um, one other thing that I'll note, and this was again before the infrastructure law was passed, but um, our Ross uh, Kathy McMorris Rogers, the uh, ranking member of the committee. Um, introduced the American Broadband Act, and that you know kind of laid out a potential outline for an NTIA grant program. And in that grant program, we specifically tied uh, that grant funding to states that you know as a requirement they actually would have to uh, streamline the permitting process. Uh, so I think there is a role there. One of the other things that I think is also helpful to to look at, um, you know, again at the the federal level was. In 2018, the FCC took a, a look and a focus on the wireless side and made a lot of reforms to the permitting process there. Things like, again, uh, making sure there's a timely response, making sure that you know when you know, your application is actually submitted and there's a very clear you know, process for providers and, and local governments to, to have that line in the sand. Um, we want to take a lot of those concepts and a lot of that work that was done on the wireless side and apply that everywhere. So apply that to fiber providers, um, uh, you know, any anybody providing broadband or cable service, for example, as well. Um, you know, again, these everyone I think is getting broadband uh, in the way that they want to, whether that's fixed or whether that's wireless. And so we we feel that I think the the permitting process should reflect that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you we're building critical infrastructure, and it needs to be able to. You know, fiber is going to really pave the way for 5G and 
you know, wireless mobile services as well as smart grid modernization and you know public safety and so all these things have to be looked at together you know looking at some of the audience questions tons of questions have come in but um railroads <laughs> so I, I got a whole education on railroads when i was on an alabama task force um so it said is there any type of plan to reduce the railroad permit fees you know some railroads um, are as much as twenty-seven thousand dollars in total fees if you include application license and flagging and I, I didn't realize you know you're trying to cross a railroad and if there's multiple railroads you have to have a different flagman for every railroad and it can be really time consuming and expensive yeah, this is a concern that we've actually started to hear a bit more about recently. Um, there's no legislation in the among the 28 bills that we've put forward that specifically addresses this issue. Um, but again, it's one that we're starting to hear more about, um, and I think we'd be interested in at least learning more about uh, the process on on how that's uh, taking place across the country. Kate, I don't know if there's anything that the you other? Like to add on this one. Yeah, so on, um, I mean, this has been an issue for a long time, and to Evan's point, we've just especially with all of the funding that's gone out the door it's sort of coming back up to the surface but this is uh, the permitting issue is something that is also very cross-jurisdictional and so in the house side in particular we really have to work with our colleagues and on other committees that have jurisdiction over certain things like railroads or federal lands um, and we are doing that we're already having those conversations um, we've had those conversations over the last couple of years but uh, anyway it's it's a bit more difficult to address some of those just because they're not fully within our control but it is those are issues that we're still interested in hearing about and, and working on they just may take a little bit more uh time i guess and effort to work with other people cross collaboration so kate how are you going to do that um you know so you you mentioned several times that there's going to take a number of collaborations between administration state local the other agencies, um, in addition to NTIA, um, how, you know, I, I know that there was some legislation that came out that said that some of the agencies like RUS or USDA and um, uh, FCC and NTI would collaborate. Is that does it take legislation to say, hey, we're all going to collaborate, or do you guys already have all these partners at the table, and or how is that going to work? That's a great question. Um, I think that it's something that it, it totally depends on the agency. So in certain instances, I, I will say on the permitting side from the Republican conference has a general goal of doing permitting reforms. And I've mentioned this, I mentioned that our boss is sort of focused on this across all of the um, subcommittees in our jurisdiction. And I would argue that that sort of spans conference wide. wide. So on permitting specifically, I think that at least on the Republican side, there is a pretty broad interest in, in rolling back and doing permitting reform and rolling back some of the, the regulations that we can. On the agency side, it's something that we've definitely struggled with. Um, whether it's requiring agencies to use the FCC's broadband maps when making their, making their funding decisions or having them, you know, talk to each other. It's, we don't have, we as the Energy and Commerce Committee don't have the ability to direct agencies outside of our jurisdiction to do something like that. And so the best thing that we can do is incentivize them to use the broadband maps and work with the other committees to hope that they are holding their own agencies accountable. And the real way that we have the power to affect um, change and require that coordination is through our oversight abilities. And so making sure that these agencies are coming up and up to Congress before the committee and answering questions about how they use the broadband maps, what, what steps they're taking to streamline permitting, how they're directing funding, how they're coordinating with each other. And frankly, we just haven't done a lot of that over the last couple of years. 
But I think going forward, that's going to be a huge role. And that's really going to be the, the way that we can affect change the best. So just, well, there's a ton of questions. So, you know, I'll, I'll send those to you, Kate and Evan, so you can um, respond as you see fit. But um, just to end on, you know, so how do you see this uh, permitting your legislation uh, move through the chambers? And what, what do you see? Is it going to be rolling up with the other infrastructure? Um, you know, um, legislation such as roads, bridges, pipelines, and so forth. So kind of what, what's the next steps and how do you see this all playing out? That's also a great question. Um, I think we're still trying to figure that out. We, to Evan's point, we um, had the American Broadband Act before the infrastructure law passed and we had worked with our Democrat colleagues. Um, they had legislation as well. And we really haven't had a ton of hearings on this post the passage of the infrastructure law. And so I think some of it's to be determined on how it actually moves. But like I said, there's been a huge interest on the Republican from the Republican conference on enacting permitting reforms across all of those industries. So whether they all move together individually, I think is still a little bit to be determined. Evan, any other anything I missed? No, I think that's all right. And you know, while we're sorting all that out, you know, we're focused on identifying the policies that are are going to actually make this happen. Um, we think the boosting broadband connectivity agenda, which is kind of what we call the package of 28 bills, will do that. And you know, there may be additional uh, ideas out there, but we really want to make sure that we're prepared and we have the right policies in place that can unleash, you know, both the public and private investment and in, in broadband deployment. Well, Kate and Evan, thank you guys so much for bringing our audience up to speed on what's uh, upcoming, you know, the upcoming permitting legislation and all the hard work. We, you know, I can't say enough how much we really appreciate um, the work that you guys are doing and your committee to really help um, connect America with you know, broadband. And this permitting is you know, paramount. So thanks again. And I want to thank our audience for joining us today. We're going to get back together next Wednesday. We're going to be discussing Wall Street and net promoter scores with Jonathan Chaplin, the managing partner at New Street Research. Um, you know, Jonathan has some great new research out and um, it's kind of shocking um, what he's finding out about net promoter scores and investment decisions. So you're not gonna wanna meet that, miss that. So we'll see you guys all again next Wednesday. Thanks, Kate and Evan.